Good morning, everyone. Since our first reading um, from Proverbs is uh, uh, holding up as an example, in this case, a woman, and uh, in the, what the things that she is doing, and um, the things that she is doing maybe seems to the people of their time to be menial and of no value, but it has great value. And it just happens to be that the woman that they are talking about is a queen. If you don't study the Old Testament, you won't see this, but she's a queen. And, and while maybe she has responsibilities, uh, what is the reason why she does what she does? And according to the praise that we're hearing, which the praise is coming from her husband, who is king, and her sons, who are the princes. In her time, uh, even though she may be a queen, she would have been as of nothing. She simply provided children. So here we see this king acting not in the way most kings would have. He's praising uh, the queen mother because of not only taking care of him and of his sons, who are princes, but of the people. And she does so out of love. Love. Yes, maybe she's required as queen, but she does it with love, and we see it in the praise that's given by her husband. He acknowledges her. And the wonderful thing, she has a heart after God, if you will. She does all this out of love. And the things that she's doing are things that are much needed today in our world. Because I think even our world today may hold the things that she's doing as, eh, yeah, it's okay. Not that good, though, but it is. And our second reading, St. Paul is concerned about what we know as the perusia, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he said, of these times and seasons, you don't need me to write you a letter. You know. And what he's saying is, you who are baptized and are disciples of Jesus Christ, know you are not ignorant any longer. You do not walk in darkness. You walk in light. You are a child of the light. You know what to do. And this is kind of what that first reading is getting at. She knew what to do. She knew what was needed in that time. And she did it in love. And my friends, uh, the parables uh, have been studied since they've been written. And I've preached different ways on this particular parable. Uh, but taking another look uh, at the first reading and the second reading, and certain the parables talking about discipleship, and certainly it's talking about Jesus Christ coming back. Uh, but there's something else, and I think it's found, and it was enlightened by the first reading. The husband acknowledges his wife's abilities, and in doing so, does he not encourage her? And so great, tell her in a way of speaking, you have such value. You are so great. And I believe something like this is going on now in this parable. There is a master uh, in this parable, and he's a master unlike the others because he seems to care about his servants. And my friends, the third servant who buried the talent, or money, it's money. Um, he made an accusation against his master, saying, uh, you're overbearing, you're demanding, and there's nothing in the parable that would suggest that 
the master of the household was this way. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. The two servants who actually take the gifts that were given to them and bring back a return, uh, the master doesn't even, he doesn't take it back. He lets them have it. Because at the end he says, give to the one who has ten, the one talent. So the master, he doesn't even want the money. So something's going on. The three servants who the master, he entrusted his possession to them. And my friends, uh, uh, these servants, these stewards of his, are not business stewards. Remember in the household, there's parables about a business uh, slave, a, a, a manager. Uh, so this is how I know that the servants he's talking about are servants who are probably doing menial work. They're probably out in the field uh, doing things for him. And this, is what, uh, and this is what I mean. You have to take a look at the parable you need to read. You need to understand the other parables and put them all together. They are likely the lowliest of all the servants that are given menial tasks. First reading, the queen. Menial tasks but tasks that are done with love and have great importance. They are probably considered to be insignificant servants in the employment of this master, so they are likely surprised that the master even knows them, and he does know them. It says in the parable, he knows their ability, so he gives one five, one two, and another one, so he knows them. They're probably surprised the master even knows that they exist. He actually knows them greatly. He knows which particular servants can handle five, and which one can handle two, and which one can handle one. Which means he has intimate knowledge of his servants and their abilities even if these abilities or even if what they have done seems insignificant to the other ones. So these servants are surprised that the master gives them one talent is equal to one year's salary. One talent is equal to one year's salary. He gives one five years of salary. To the other one, he gives two and to another one. Their gift. They didn't earn anything. It's a gift. He gives it to them. And what's even more fascinating, he doesn't tell them what to do with it. He just gives it to them. And then he goes on a journey. Bye-bye. <laughs> so what's going on? Is the master trying to trick them, set them up for something? Not trick them, but I think he is setting them up for something. And my friends, when I look at this deeper, and I think about the first reading regarding these servants, perhaps this is the first time anyone of importance has even acknowledged their existence. Maybe even acknowledged their potential and their capacity and ability to do something unexpected. 
when people who we look up to treat us with worth and love, we feel that and we change. Perhaps these servants, this is the first time they've felt appreciated and wanted. And even though the servants could have run away with this money, they don't. It says something about the master. They invest their master's money, and then when he returns, with confidence, they come before the master. Now, my friends, if you do not understand who the players are, this parable makes no sense. The master is God the Father. And the servants are you and I. We're the characters in this. Could it be then that this parable is speaking about confidence and trust and potential and capacity? The master is the father, God, who sees the potential and the capacity of what can be with his grace for you and I. The servants are any one of us. I was talking with someone that said, oh, yeah, he's probably referring to the apostles. Yes. Probably to the prophets. Yes. And you and I as disciples were not excluded. My friends, God has made each one of us, each you and I, with the gift of free will. I think this is why in the parable the master does not tell them what to do. Instead, we look to St. Paul who says, you know what to do. The master trusts that you know what to do. And yet so many disciples of Jesus unknowingly remain slaves to fear and addictions and bad habits and self-loathing and in this time, the culture of hopelessness. They become paralyzed and can do nothing, which we see in this third servant. The third servant, he's just afraid. And in his fear, he does nothing. One of the things the parable tells me is that even if you try and fail, the master is going to be okay with it. But what the master is not okay with is doing nothing, and particularly because of fear. You don't need to fear. I think the point of the parable is not about material things and making money because the master has no need of it. He lets them keep it. But it's about gaining trust and confidence the master sets up a test to elicit confidence and devotion and faith from the servants. He wants to transform them from servants to children of the light. The two obedient servants come to see in themselves what the master sees in them. Just before I went on my vacation, I gave a homily, and I said if we could only see ourselves the way God sees us, things would change. And I think this parable helps to support the homily I gave a couple weeks back. 
they become confident. Because I almost picture them, when the master comes back, he says, hey, you gave me five talents. I gave you five more. Bam, master. <laughs> the second one, the same way. You gave me two, got you two. More. Confidence. My friends, this um, parable is not about making money. The parable challenges us to make the most of what God's grace makes possible within us. What the master gave was unearned, but it came from him. He gave it to them and trusted them. So let us consider what the Father has invested in you and given you. God the Father has handed over his greatest possession, his only begotten Son. In the Paschal mystery, he has given this to you. The Father expects you will know what to do and that you will do this with love and faith and devotion. And you will take care of so great a possession so that ultimately, the parable tells us, ultimately what the Master was after that you would enter into his joy, that you would come and be with him. And I suspect all the baptized, somewhere deep in their hearts, would like to be like the two faithful servants. And we want to enter into the master's joy and to hear him say, well done, you faithful servant of mine. If we could just see ourselves the way God sees us, we would move quickly. We need to look with faith at what the Father has put into our possession already. Understand it and know it and act accordingly, disciples. With faith and with trust and with confidence. And my friends, if you are skeptical about anything I've said in this homily, then I remind you in about 10 minutes what is going to happen. The liturgy of the Eucharist will begin, and the Father will once again put into your hands his Son for you, the body of Christ. Amen. And he will trust you again with so great a possession. You will know what to do. Amen?